Wow, that was a racket. I don't know how that... It's time. Yeah, it is. For the February 11th, 2022 edition of Weekly Singles Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting on this hot winter's day from the <laughs> University of California at Irvine in the backyard of KCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, the reason for air freshener, <laughs> Mahler, the fake news dog. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a rough beginning there. There are drums pounding in the there background. Are, a lot of Mahler we, shouldn't do that. Yeah, it's, it's hard to clear out the studio when we get going because there's a lot. Mahler right. brings in his entourage, and yeah. sometimes they don't want to leave. It's right a little away. bit yeah, messy. Yeah. Today we'll be talking about Woodside Lions, Spinal Implants, Flushing Trump, the Confederate Discount, Ice Fishing Shanties, and then some. But first, do you ever just pee outside, Mike? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do it a lot? No, it? no, I don't do it a lot. When necessary, I, you know. Not, do you not, enjoy it? Is it? Something? I do. I enjoy yeah. peeing outside. Yes, I do. Do you ever like just kind of look up at the sky and? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it doesn't even matter if you're peeing anymore. It's, it's liberating. That, it's, yeah. it's 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 a free flowing experience, if you know what yeah. I'm saying. From uh, Nature Magazine, mm-hmm. an article entitled "The Urine Revolution." <laughs> On Gotland, the largest island in Sweden, fresh water is scarce. Okay. At the same time, residents are battling dangerous amounts of pollution from agriculture and sewer systems that causes harmful algal blooms in the surrounding Baltic Sea. Mm -hmm. These blooms can kill fish and make people sick. Yes. Yeah, we know about that. Yes, that's right. To help solve this set of environmental challenges, the island is pinning its hopes on a single unlikely substance that connects them. Connects all of us. Yes, it does. P. P. Human urine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're going to leave you out of it today, Molly. <laughs> Starting in 2021, a team of researchers begin collaborating with a local company that rents out portable toilets. The goal is to collect more than 70,000 liters of urine over three years from waterless urinals and specialized toilets. Special toilets. Huh. I don't know if they're specialized. <laughs> they're toilets. They're toilets. And they specialize in being toilets, <laughs> but they're special because they can collect this waterless urine. And they're at several locations, all of these uh, urinals, during the blooming summer tourist season there. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Using a process that the researchers develop, they dry the urine into concrete-like chunks that they hammer into a powder and press into fertilizer pellets that fit into standard farming equipment. Okay. A local farmer uses the fertilizer to grow barley that will go to a brewery to make ale, which, after consumption, could enter the cycle all over again. Yeah. You drink some beer. Drink beer. You, yeah. You pee in one of these urinals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? You know what they say about beer? And I hear. Somebody just came. Yeah. They. S- anyway. Yeah, they what say they, about what beer. What do they say about they beer? They say about beer that you, you don't own it, you only rent it. 
Well, they do say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true with life in general. Well, that's true about most liquids, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the researchers aim to take urine reuse beyond concept and into practice on a large scale. That's a worthless sentence. <laughs> the aim is to provide a model that regions around the world could follow. Good. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I, I, it's good. I'm and, all in favor of that. And if our urine is actually good for the environment, good for growing things, that's all the best. It, be, yeah, okay. The one thing you want don't want to do, because, you know, like this happens with female dogs all the time, is you aim in one spot and uh -huh. you just drill that one spot. <laughs> and and that's what female dogs do, because, you know, male dogs, are just, they just walk around, they squirt uh -huh. everything, they're uh -huh. flying everywhere. Uh -huh. Female dogs usually squat down. Yes. And then, you know, their that's pee true. hole is real close to the ground and they shoot it down there. <laughs> Next thing you know, you got these spots all over your, your lawn, lawn yeah. you know, and then people complain. Yeah. And I say, get rid of your lawn. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Yes. That's what I say. That's what they say. That's yeah. what I've heard Nathan say many times. Yeah. yeah. And even, even Mahler agrees yeah. with that. Speaking of getting pissed, <laughs> are, are you familiar with the artist Ai Weiwei? Oh, yeah. Oh, so you know about him. Oh, right? yeah. 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 The, the, the bird's nest. Right. That's his thing, right? He's a, uh, well, he's just a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, he's a, lot. a Chinese contemporary artist, a documentarian, and an activist. Yes. Uh, I grew up in the far northwest of China where he lived under harsh conditions because his father was in exile there. Right. He's an activist. He's been openly critical of the Chinese government's stance on democracy and human rights. Yes. And I, I like them, you know. I have some uh, of his sunflower seeds. He had a Tate Museum piece where he filled a room full of little porcelain i think they are sunflower seeds okay well and then everybody liked them so much they were taking them you know so he made up a whole bunch more and that was fun it's fun i have a little bowl actually i had someone try and eat one once <laughs> yeah uh, and he had uh, oh at, he's been at lacma too okay. uh there's a, a great sculpture series there chinese zodiac figures okay and i liked them until now uh -oh. from the art newspaper uh-oh Renowned, renowned artist Ai Weiwei posted a video to Instagram expressing his distaste for forced COVID-19 vaccinations, <sighs> prompting a swift online backlash. Yes. The post was made, and this is what he wrote, in defense of freedom of press and human rights. That's what he wrote in the caption of the video, which showed a group of men dancing and playing drums in the mountains living off the grid after refusing the vaccine. Is that why they lived off the grid? Just to make... Or... I have no idea yeah, what they're doing. Yeah, you know, okay. I mean, good for them. They're playing drums and dancing in the mountains. We should all be doing more of that. Yeah. And and at some point, are they going to return yes. after they've spread exactly. the virus among themselves? Yeah, right. or, I, I don't know. The activist said society, this is Ai Weiwei, said society did not have the right to make the vaccine compulsory. What do you mean we don't have the right I had vaccines myself, he said, uh, but I can completely identify with myself with those who do not want to get vaccinated. Well, I can completely identify myself with Charles Manson. That doesn't mean I want to go up in the hills and slaughter a family. Yeah. And he said also, if individuals are forced to be vaccinated through social pressure and public opinion, it'll be, very dangerous uh, be a very dangerous social tendency. Well, as my friend and ex-KVCI DJ, uh, Eric Bernhardt said, Burkhardt said hmm. public opinion, this is what Ai Weiwei is talking about. Public opinion? Yes. It's an opinion based on science, you douchebag. I know. 
Yeah. It's this isn't public opinion. This is we're trying to save lives here, I. Right. You may not care about your life, but I think you should be concerned. We live in a community. You should yeah. be concerned about the people around you. Yeah. And it yes. If you know, I struggle. I ask myself these questions that he's posing. Yeah. Okay. Am I am I caught up in some kind of you know, social pressure and should I, or shouldn't I, I've weighed these questions in my own mind. And I have come to, I think, a consensus where I think where you are, and that is, no, I don't like getting vaccines and you know, it's a pain and it's all these other things. It's not, it's uncomfortable to feel like you're part of a, you know, the, the government involvement always is a red flag in some way, you not always, but it is. No, it's about you, and it's about the other people. It's, I'm speaking of you as part of the community. It's about the other people that we should be at least considerate. We yeah. live in a community of people. Uh, well, we spend a lot of our effort trying to educate people so they can save lives. Yes. And they come up with a solution to a very big problem in the world, yeah. a virus that can kill us. Yeah. And yet them. somehow we think that by not taking it, we're expressing freedom. I, no, you're yeah. by not taking it, you're expressing selfishness. Yeah. I. <sighs> by the way, and just real quick, he, yeah. his parents were swept up in the Cultural Revolution. Yeah. Uh -huh. Mao went after them, yeah. did some terrible things to his family. I just want to acknowledge, I understand his resistance to government action and the rest of it. It can be awful. But not in this case. Yeah. From Science Daily, according to a new study, uh, by 2080, around 70% of the world's oceans could be suffocating yep. from a lack of oxygen as a result of climate change. That's right. Potentially impacting marine ecosystems worldwide. Well, it will impact yeah. ecosystems yeah. worldwide. Just how much. The new models find mid-ocean depths that depth that support many fisheries worldwide are already losing oxygen at unnatural rates and past a critical threshold of oxygen loss in 2021. Oceans carry dissolved oxygen as a gas, and just like land animals, aquatic animals need that oxygen to breathe. But as the oceans warm due to climate change, their water can hold less oxygen. Scientists have been tracking the ocean's steady decline in oxygen for years, but the new study provides new pressing reasons to be concerned sooner rather than later. Well, should have been concerned about 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. It finds that significant, potentially irreversible deoxygenation of the ocean's middle depth that support much of the world's fished species began occurring in 2021, likely affecting fisheries worldwide. The new models predict that deoxygenation is expected to begin affecting all zones of the ocean by 2080. All zones, Mike. Yeah, yeah, Mother. This saddens Mother. Yes, it, it saddens me as well. I'm watching Mike trying to find his phone. Yeah. You want I, me to find, I think dial it's your phone? I think it's outside. Outside the studio? Yeah, oh, yeah, it's in there. That's why it sounds so distant. What, you need to get the phone? Doesn't it happen again? For goodness sakes. There it is. We, we love to mess around here during the news. You don't get this kind of 
you know, close personal screw-ups listening to professional radio broadcasts. No, you don't. No. And that's what makes KFCI such a joy to listen to. Yes, it is. It's You never know. Yeah, never. Sorry about that. I don't know. If this news frightens you, may I recommend a donation to KUCI to give you comfort? Or just help us learn to keep our phones in order? Yes. Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech. Radio. KUCI 88.9 FM. Yes. Yeah. Ow, ow. Uh-huh. From the East Oregonian. Oh, I love that. That's a, that's a great. Is it a newspaper? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's great. The East Oregonian, which I assume is in the east part of the state. I'm guessing. Which is kind of deserty. Yeah, it's like plains. Yes. It gets very hot in that area. A new study proposes a radical prescription for the ailing health of dry U.S. western forests cutting back trees by as much as 80%. Get rid of those trees. Now, that's crazy because on one hand, you know, we're trying to help with climate change and trees suck up carbon and all that. But the study suggests that forests in the Sierra Nevada and nearby ranges could better withstand severe wildfire, drought, infestations, and climate change if the density of trees was dramatically reduced. Reducing the density of trees would shut out competition for water and other resources, helping the remaining trees to weather an array of stresses. That's what they say in yeah. the study. No, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much I want to hang my life on it, but it's a a good proposition. For the past century, U.S. foresters have largely aimed to maximize the number of trees that can grow in an area and guard them from fire. Yet decades of suppressing wildfires in ecosystems have been adapted to regular low-severity burns have left many forests thickly overgrown, creating more fuel and intensifying blazes. The 150 million trees that died due to bark beetle infestation during the 2012-2016 period drought was a wake-up call. Yeah. they say. Yeah. And that problem of densely packed forests was more about more than just wildfires. Too many trees relying on limited water can make them more vulnerable to threats like the bark beetles. There is, there is something to what that story said because we, what we don't take into account with, our, with the forests and trees is the business of growing trees for for wood products and those kinds of things. And in the, the, I think it was the campfire up in Paradise, there was a huge uh, uh, tree farm. You said a campfire up in well, Paradise? No, I'm saying, wasn't it called the campfire? The oh, one the in camp, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the wildfire in Paradise. In Paradise, I think yeah. it was called campfire. Anyway, yeah, right. there, it was exacerbated. It actually was made much, much worse because up above Paradise was a massive tree farm yeah and when the fire got to that part of it it turned into just a fireball immediately within minutes it went from a, a well regular forest fire of to something just absolutely horrific we don't talk about how much of an impact forest 
uh, tree farms are having around the state, and and that one of the and then that is a factor in why these fires become so intense and so deadly. Yeah. So. What's this? One of the the owner of that tree farm, by the way, and I've forgotten his name. He owns two percent of all California land. Wow. Two percent. Imagine that. It's a lot of land. That's a lot of land. Uh, the researchers used data from a 1911 timber survey of what are now the Stanislaus and Sequoia National Forests to benchmark what they were like before his fire suppression policies sent growth into overdrive. The forests of the last century had roughly 20 to 30 trees per acre with 30-inch trunks. That's what they found. Okay. A modern data set showed that the same areas more recently had about 150 to 200 trees per acre. That's seven to ten times more trees in the forest. Well, that has to do with replanting forests. Exactly. Burned, and also to these tree farms, which are a business yep. part of it. And the uh, individual trees were about half as big. The lack of competition in sparser forests of the past allowed for individual trees to survive and grow, the right. scientists believe. Right. Those bigger, healthier trees were then able to persist through recurring fires, acute dry spells, insects, and disease. Modern-day forest managers should take note, the study suggests. Yep. Lead author Malcolm North, a U.S. Forest Service research ecologist and professor at the University of California, Davis, said that we need to think deeper and restore what made these forests so resilient to stresses in the past because the future of climate change has a lot more of them stresses in store. Yep. Yeah. Sheesh. Well, I don't know. It's very confusing. <laughs> I know it is. And you know what? By, by not letting me plant a thousand trees per acre, they're taking away my freedoms. <laughs> I've seen your yard. It's beautiful. With, yeah? With, yes, with those thousand trees that you have in your backyard. I don't have a thousand trees. I have trees. You do have trees. I notice in Irvine, people don't care, have trees anymore. They, you know, it's just, it seems like they, I don't know, they're afraid of trees. They might get hit by a branch or something. I don't know the logic. It's shade. Yes. With all, kinda... with all due respect to that story, you just said tree, urban trees are uh, a mitigator of of heat they they will oh, yeah. keep Urban an area trees much and, cooler yeah. as long as you're not wasting a lot of water keeping right. trees around well there yeah. are types of trees that yes yeah. that exactly. can be planted you ever been to woodside california no that's up north there kind of a fancy pants community when you say north what, what well by palo alto it's toward the ocean from palo alto okay no i have not yeah, yeah. really i thought you'd be an old woodside guy uh, is it is it a okay no i haven't from los angeles times you heard of that place right <laughs> yes state attorney general rob bunta accused managers of a posh silicon valley suburb which it is it's pretty nice okay uh, of trying to skirt new affordable housing requirements by declaring their town a sanctuary for mountain lions that's what they said. Wow. Woodside, an enclave in the foothills west of Stanford University, announced last month in a memo to its 5,500 residents 
that because the entire town was habitat for the potentially endangered mountain lion, it was exempt from a new law that permits duplex development on single-family home lots. You know about that. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. And these people up there, they're huge lots. Yeah. We can tell. There's 5,500 people in a city. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty yeah. low population. That, and it's also pretty transparent what they're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, really. Bonta, a Democrat, saw that. He called the move a deliberate and transparent oh. attempt to avoid complying with the law known as SB 9. Yeah. This memorandum is quite clearly contrary to the law and ironically contrary to the best interests of the mountain lions the town claims to want to protect. That's what he said. Yeah. In other words, by failing to help California expand its housing supply within existing towns, Woodside would increase the likelihood of exurban sprawl that will adversely affect the habitat of mountain lions. Yeah. Deputy Attorney General Matthews Truhar told Woodside's town manager that it could only be assumed that Woodside's decree was intended to undermine the legislature's efforts to combat the crisis-level housing shortage. Uh, the medium home in uh, Woodside is 4.5 million, just to give you an idea there. Its residents have included Oracle founder Larry Ellison, whose 23-acre estate there was modeled after a 16th-century Japanese imperial palace. Woodside is one of about 40 communities in California that have passed new rules limiting housing projects since SB 9 went into effect on January 1st. I think that's a great idea. There's so many community regulations that prevent just even putting an extra house if you have the property, yeah. like a granny flat in the back or something, yeah, yeah. which is really a, I mean, it serves so many good purposes. All right. Well, this just into the Weekly Signals news desk. Yeah. Newport Beach is declaring itself a Bigfoot sanctuary. Yeah. And so therefore, really? they're, yeah. Wow. Some breaking news here at the Weekly Signals news desk. So we'll we'll have to see how that goes. Is Bigfoot protected? It should be, don't yeah. you think? Well, we got to get that taken care we of. We really do. We need more big feet. Uh, but uh, by the way, yes, can I just say yes? I no. agree with all you said about the housing. I I think we definitely need more housing. Yeah. My main concern is it's always been, for many many years, not always, but many years. Just get on with it. Is water? Water for the houses. Water for people. I don't know. I don't want to be that guy that says you can't you can't live in California, but I'm just what are we? How are we going to? How do we balance that? How do we find a balance for having more people in affordable housing, or housing at all? Well, and you've said this yourself, agriculture. Yeah, well, get yes. them to be uh, yes. a little bit more smart about what they how they use their water, and runoff. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You're right. You're right. Okay. Um, we we, I mean I I agree with you on too many people here, but I'm also I think that uh, urban areas are much more valuable and suburban areas aren't. Okay. And if we just keep sending the population out to the uh, exurbs, out to the further and further away, yeah. and you know building more homes, that's not good. And if you build homes in the existing areas that are already have an infrastructure, okay. that is good. Yes. And the thing about the water allocation for agriculture, which I think you're right, is that we, we really have to stop growing. Our agriculture cannot be about plants that are water thirsty, like almonds and 
see whatever it is. Um, there's all kinds of alfalfa. Almonds and whatever Alfalfa. It is. Yeah. All these kinds of things that are going not to feed us, but to feed cattle. Alfalfa is for, for cattle. Wheatgrass is for cattle. Well, and they generally get shipped over to China or That's right. overseas. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. From BBC News. A paralyzed man with a severed spinal corn has been able to walk again thanks to an implant developed by a team of Swiss researchers. Wow. It was the first time someone who has been, had a complete cut to their spinal cord has been able to walk freely. My God. Michael Riccotti was paralyzed after a motorbike accident five years ago. His spinal cord was completely severed and he has no feeling at all in his legs but he can now walk because of an electrical implant that has been surgically attached to his spine. The researchers stress that it isn't a cure for spinal injury and that the technology is still too complicated to be used in everyday life. But Hale, uh, it nonetheless as a major step to improving quality of life and believe this transplant technology could be used in conjunction with nerve regeneration treatments once they are ready. A cure would require regeneration of the spinal cord, if you really wanted to cure it, possibly with stem cell therapies, which are still at a very early stage of research. Wow. That's good news. You ever ride a big rig? No. Never ever? Never been in a big rig. You mean in the cab of a big rig, right? Yeah, yeah. Not drive one. Not like Trump, you know. <laughs> drive. God, he's a great truck driver, <laughs> isn't he? That is one of the great, well, I say great guardedly. That's not the word I really mean. But revealing. Revealing. Yeah. Exactly. It's a child there. Yes. A yeah. very tiny child with well, a small Well, I hope we're going to talk a little bit about the, the, the latest developments with Trump. I want to no, at least, no. No, come on, come on. Just you hear about me. these trucker blockades? Yeah. They're, they're in, something. In Canada? Yeah. A? a? The blockades are an extra bonus for the bird-brained anti-vaxxers who are demonstrating in Canada's capital of Ottawa. Yeah. The protests began nearly two weeks ago when loosely organized groups of truck drivers and others converged on the city to protest vaccination requirements for truckers crossing into Canada from the United States. Aren't these the people that you would could spread disease? Yeah. And they're just people, they're going across the border. Everybody that crosses the border has to do this. Truckers think they're special. And I know they're making money, and I understand all that. You know, I I admire the skill and and the perseverance and the loneliness. I don't admire it, but I can appreciate all the hardships that truckers go through. This isn't to demean truckers, but come on, just like Ai Weiwei, why don't you guys get together and grow a brain? (laughs) From Fortune magazine, the Freedom Convoy trucker protests in Canada forced Ford Motor to halt production at two of its Canadian factories after protesters blocked the Ambassador Bridge, which connects Ontario and Canada to Michigan in the U.S. and carries 25% of all trade between the two countries. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
That's why this is such a deal. What yeah. the hell? Toyota suspended production at three Canadian plants the same day owing to parts shortages caused by the trucker protest. Ordinarily, $350 million in goods flow across the Ambassador Bridge every day. Oh, my God. Including auto components and agricultural goods. Unblocking the vital economic artery is now a priority for authorities in Ontario. Traffic is resumed on the lane taking drivers from the U.S. into Canada. But freight is flowing at a fraction of its usual rate and the way out of Canada remains blocked. I saw some of these morons on Fox News uh, a couple of nights ago. Yeah. And, they're, they're, well, thank you know, you can rest assured that that same ridiculous attitude has crossed over into Canada. Yeah. The ridiculous attitude of the Trump rally, essentially, was what it was. I think they had Trump flags in, in some of them. In fact, I know they did in their in their cabs. So. Yeah. Moving the scores of trucks blocking the thoroughfare is much easier said than done. In downtown Ottawa, the capital of Canada and a major city in Ontario province, truckers have parked themselves in protest for about two weeks. Area of the city centre, known as the Red Zone, are blocked off by huge 18-wheelers positioned across the main streets. So far, police have been able to move them. If you know anything about truck air brakes, once you pull that button... All 18 wheels are locked, one truck driver engaged in the protest said. Some tow operators seem to be sympathetic to the trucker movement, while others simply don't want to risk getting injured if protesters attempt to stop them from towing rigs away. Hooking up a semi to a tow truck takes roughly 30 minutes. But in Ottawa, the operation would likely take longer since most of the commercial trucks are jammed together at odd angles. You know, it's a puzzle to unlock there. Clearly, the hundreds of rigs littered across the city could take days. Clearing the hundreds of rigs littered across the city could take days. According to police, there are over 70 vehicles blocking the bridge. And clearing a route would take hours, maybe days, if the drivers are non-compliant. I would say weeks if the drivers are non-compliant. Yeah. Yeah. So, again... Not to disparage truckers. It's easy, too. Yeah. People do it all the time. Right. But they do a great service and have great skill. Yeah. I'm always astounded. Yeah. I have applauded truckers when I've seen some of them back back up. Yeah. You, know, you, you go, you say you're on Beach Boulevard. I've seen somebody, some trucker, actually back up into a driveway yeah. across three lanes. I know. I know. And they do it. Yeah. They hit it. And they do it expeditiously yeah they they're good enough to where they can get in and out at a remarkable pace yeah can under the situation under the conditions if i were a truck driver there would be a very serious um uptick in accidents accidents on the freeway (laughs) and plus plus freeway mike that was me when i was driving to la every day Uh freeway mike there'd be yeah i'd I'd be on trial for homicide at this point if I were a truck driver, yeah. Well, good on truck drivers, but come on, guys. Yeah. Let's let's work together on this. Yeah. You know, I mean, the death rates are going up. Yeah. And you know who they are? They're unvaccinated people. I know. We're trying to prevent it from spreading and save some lives here. You know that Charles Pierce guy? Yes. Esquire? I love Charlie Pierce. Yeah. Well, he had something to say about the shadow docket. 
Oh, that's it. Shadow and, 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 Yes, and, yes. And, and uh, what's that name? Brett Kavanaugh. Oh. You know, I the, like beer. Beer drinking I like idiot beer, yeah. on the Supreme Court. Yeah. And he got oh, really beer. pissed about the fact, speaking of beer and that stuff, pissed that people didn't like beer. Yeah, yeah, that he, people didn't like beer as much as he did. He, asked, he seemed to you know, have a grievance about that. He, he, was, he, was, he was angry at one of the senators. I think it might have been Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Do you like beer? I remember that exchange. I like beer. Do yeah. you like beer? That no, wasn't her. It was uh, Amy. Uh, Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, yeah. That's I what think, that's yeah. Right. It was hostile. Yeah. Yeah, I fear. Wow. Yeah, his <laughs> dissent. Yeah. Last week by a five to four vote and through the medium uh, of its now infamous shadow docket, the U.S. Supreme Court left in place an egregiously gerrymandered electoral map produced by the Alabama state legislature. Yeah. This map effectively disenfranchises black citizens in that state, and it delivers yet another in a series of death blows to the Voting Rights Act, this one in the service of racial gerrymandering. Now, the shadow docket is the use of emergency orders and summary decisions by the Supreme Court without oral argument. Now, they can make their decision and not even argue the case. Right, right. And the reason for the Voting Act, gosh darn it, was for exactly this reason. The disenfranchise of, dis disenfranchisement of people of color's right to vote. People of color, sorry. That was it's, terrible. It's always tough to identify someone that a, large, a number of people are prejudiced against, racially prejudiced especially, because yeah. it's hard to put a word on it. They're people, for God's sakes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, I'm not criticizing yeah, you. Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying I'm sympathizing yeah. with you. Yeah. The majority leaned into, the majority of the Supreme Court leaned into previous rulings, notably Purcell versus Gonzalez, where the court declined to involve itself in election disputes in the last minute, only weeks before an election. According to our new ultra-conservative Supreme Court majority, the last minute apparently begins nine months before an election, in this case. That's not last minute, guys. No, it isn't. And the whole process was done as soon as it could be done. After the map was handed over, the new map that was all gerrymandered, they brought this case as soon as they could to the court. Right. And yet the court doesn't even want to talk about it. Right. You know, some of this is John Roberts. John Roberts in the yeah, Holder he case, he's the one with Shelby County versus Holder. He's the one who, who stuck a knife in the, in the yeah. Voting Rights Act. And we bring up. Roberts only because he's not part of the the uh, Trump right. team, right. the ultra right. right. Justice Elena Kagan laid waste to the position in her dissent. She went on to flog the majority's sneaky and cowardly use of the shadow docket to work its mischief on established law and policy. Kagan said, "Today's decision is one more in a disconcerting long line of cases in which this court uses its shadow docket to signal." or make changes in law without anything approaching full briefing and argument. Yeah. I mean, they, they got their It's political. This is really yeah. a perfect case to point out that this course is completely political. Yeah. You didn't do Roe versus Wade in a shadow docket. Right. You got to discuss these things at least so people know what the court is thinking. That's right. This has always been the guardrail that's held the Supreme Court to a higher standard. The, the idea that they would be thought of, even thought of, as a political entity. Yeah. And now they've embraced it. And let's not forget, 
Clarence Thomas's wife is part of the very cabal. radical, very radical right-wing cabal, and, and, and there's growing evidence that Clarence has been a facilitator of all of this kind of nonsense. She goes on. Here, the district court applied established legal principles to an extensively evidentiary record. She's talking about the original decision that brought this to the Supreme Court. Its reasoning was careful, indeed exhaustive, and justified in every respect. To reverse that decision, as the Supreme Court is, requires upsetting the way Section 2 plaintiffs have for decades and in line with our case law proved vote dilution claims. This is a serious matter which cannot properly occur without thorough consideration. In other words, argument. Let's hear some opinions here rather than just dismissing this as too late. Put it out there. Put it out. What do you think? What do you believe, Roberts? What do you believe, Kavanaugh? What do you believe, Comey? And let us let us have a reasoned yeah. debate about this. Yeah. A reasoned discussion. Yeah. Sure. Mahler has been exceedingly quiet today. Yeah, he, well, he's been yelling. Yeah. He's been yelling here. Yeah. I think she, he's well, a little bit upset. Do you want to play a little bit, Mahler? Huh? Come on. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> let's, go, let's do this. Let's come on. Come on. You want to get it? <laughs> get the toy. Get the toy. He's come on. So, come on. He's come on. Get it. Sick. He's yeah, like yeah, cute. Yeah, what do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does it. Yeah. Oh, boy. Thank you. You ever need to flush something down the toilet you're trying to hide, Mike? <laughs> you know, remember remember when David Crosby was out on uh, here in Newport on, on the in, in the Bay? Okay. And, and he was smoking reefer. <laughs> was, okay. And the police came on board his yacht. I don't okay. know if it was a yacht. It was a boat. It's a boat. It was a boat. Okay. And he and he flushed it down the toilet, but it just popped right up next to the boat. <laughs> Remember that one? No, but yeah, that's yeah. that's a great story. That's David, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a good guy. I always liked him. I mean, he was Cross- crazy for a while. Yeah, he really was. He's my kind of crazy. Yeah. He's a yeah, he, wonderful he, old man. Yeah. Almost cut my hair. From the salon. He was a barber? That's a joke. Yeah, that's, that's a, a joke. joke. That's a good joke. That's yeah, actually that's a right. really good joke. Yeah. From salon. According to a new book from New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman, White House staff repeatedly found wads of printed paper clogging former President's cut, <laughs> former President Trump's toilet in his residence, raising suspicions that Trump had flushed documents. The only problem I have with that sentence is raising suspicions. Yeah, I know, yeah. Well, that's the way papers have to write. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but and I'm reading. Uh, but, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Come on. I mean, I hear people on, t- I on the on the, I know other people Crosby. are people are on TV talking about well, the nuances of whether or not you know maybe somehow he wasn't you know he wasn't really trying to flush the stuff down the toilet and and he's at the White House. <laughs> he has people helping him do everything he wants to do, <laughs> yeah, and yet he goes into his restroom and secretly is flushing shards of paper down the toilet. After he's been told numerous times by counsel and other people, archivists and the rest of it, that, by the way, all of the stuff you do is public record. All of the phone calls you make, all of the documents that come across your desk are part of the public record. He's been told multiple times. Trump, who reportedly had a habit of tearing up documents and failing to follow federal document preservation laws, needed to repairman on more than one occasion uh, to fix his bathroom plumbing. (laughs) Staff at the White House 
residents would periodically find the toilet clogged, Haberman said. The engineer would have to come and fix it, and what the engineer would find would be wads of clumped-up printed wet paper. Haberman stressed that this was not toilet paper. It could be post-its. It could be notes he wrote to himself. It could be other things we don't know, but certainly does add another dimension to what we know about how he handled material in the White House. Yeah. And, yeah. We also know about the burn bags we, that he was throwing documents into. Yeah. We also know that there were, or I don't know if you're going to cover this, 16 or 15 or 16 boxes of top secret, much top secret. Well, much some of it, of it was top secret. Yeah, much. Uh, yeah, and there's a concern. Now, now, there's the, he could easily say, I needed to take this stuff. He could dismiss himself because he needed the top secret documents. Right, right. He could do this. Yeah. But... You gotta let people know you're doing this in in case it's jeopardized, in case these secrets are become public, yeah. and they've just been sitting down there. We don't know what what's happened at Mar-a-Lago for the last year. Right. It it does speak to a consciousness of guilt. He knows yeah. that there is information in these documents that would be bad for him. Haberman said she is not sure how many times the toilet was clogged, but it was not just once. Now we know why he was so angry and obsessed with low-flush toilets, tweeted Salon columnist Amanda Marcotte. Uh, remember when uh, Trump flushed, uh, Remember when Trump has that toilet flush pressure obsession for a while? Remember yeah. when he was just... Sometimes you have to flush the toilet 15 times. Yeah. 10 times. <laughs> he was calling them out at rallies. People were... He was talking about it so much that people in the crowd was a call and response. Yeah, yeah. Toilet flush. <laughs> Toilet flush. And they're saying, to, he would, yeah. And, the, you know, the other thing about this, I, you know, he is crazy. He's dangerous. He's psychotic and all the rest of it. But this is one of the most clear examples of someone who's like a, a child who wants to get caught, who says things out loud that yeah. he did with the idea that mommy or daddy are going to, you know, there's this weird twisted thing going on. He's dangerously damaged. And I think this is another Well, example. his sister knew that. She tried to warn us. Yes, and absolutely. And all those psychologists who put that book together. Yeah. From Bloomberg.com, more than 14,000, 14,000, 1,400 streets across the U.S. bear the names of Confederate racist jackholes like Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, Thomas Stonewall Jackson. But these street names could come at a price. A new study suggests that uh, or found that governments that insist on naming streets after Confederate figures are bringing down real estate values. Confederate addresses sell for 3% less on average than homes of similar size and age on nearby streets that aren't named for racist jackhole secessionists. That works out to a loss of $7,000 on a $240,000 home. Houses on Confederate streets also take longer to sell than otherwise comparable homes, according to a review of home sales data across 35 states. The Confederate discount, as we can call it, is more muted in the states that make up the former Confederacy, only 1% to 2%. Outside the South, the Confederate discount is pronounced up to 4% of the home's value. From space.com. Over the past three years, SpaceX has deployed thousands of satellites into low Earth orbit as part of its business to beam high-speed Internet service from space. But the company's latest deployment of 49 new satellites after a February 3rd launch did not go as planned. 
as a consequence of a geomagnetic storm triggered by recent uh, recent outburst of the sun, up to 40 of the 49 newly launched Starlink, Starlink satellites have been knocked out of commission. That much be pretty much wow. that means pretty much all of these satellites yeah. are gone. Poor Elon Musk. The satellites are now re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, where they will be incinerated. The incident highlights the hazards faced by companies planning to put tens of thousands of small satellites in orbits to provide Internet service from space. Now, the sun has an 11-year-long cycle in which it oscillates between hyperactive and quiescent states. Right now, it's ramping up to its peak, which should arrive around 2025. This recent solar burst was relatively moderate by the sun's standards. I have every confidence that we're going to see an extreme event in the next cycle, because that typically is what happens during a solar maximum, said Hugh Lewis, a space debris expert at the University of Southampton in, in England. So, so what if, does that mean? I mean so if a lightweight outburst, like the one we just had, can lock out, four, 40. Lock out 40 Starlink satellites, a more potent solar storm has a potential to wipe out a mega constellation of SpaceX or whatever other companies up there and pretty much uh, shut down communication in a lot of parts so of the does world. That, does, <clears throat> so does that mean that they're more likely, most likely, or for sure going to burn up on re-entry, or do we know? Oh, they, yeah, don't worry. Uh, yeah, these are small, little, they're not... Okay. They're not, 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 they're not space things. station or no, something No, we're not like concerned that. that they're going to... But still, the hit. fact that they're up there and it's debris floating around and all kind of craziness, right? Well, that's that's bad. But it's just the idea that also, yeah. too, that our communication systems, we're relying on something that right. a solar storm comes along right. and... It could be havoc. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, yeah, if we weren't so dependent on this type of communication, right. well, that would be one thing. But we are. And it does. I've read recently that we have kind of been lucky in terms of of uh, solar flares, solar storms. Yeah. That could, as you're saying, couldn't be knocking out communication systems. Yeah. Would wouldn't just knock out the communications. It could knock out a city, you know, on earth right. communications right. and any electrical right. uh, components on earth could yeah. go down. Yeah. So you'd have emergencies on earth that wouldn't be able to be responded to and a communication system that would be shut out. Yeah. Oof. And finally, wait, wait, can I, can I yeah. let's, let's get a little time here. Um, can we just arrest Trump now? Oh, yeah. This is Mike's rant. This is a little bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep nice. it under control here. But he is a walking, talking RICO. Okay, President RICO, which is a, a a law that is was intended to go after organized crime. Donald Trump is a, a walking RICO conviction. Why don't we just arrest him now? Why don't we? Yeah. Well, he should be arrested now so we can begin this process because the longer we wait, the more consequential this the 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 ramifications will be if he's running for president and he's arrested for all of this stuff that he's been doing that would be catastrophic yeah arrest him now well start, if there's any way we could start I think we this would. process or he's go, somebody would he's go, eventually going to have to stand the charge. trial what is the charge what are the charges yeah what are the well, charges his in addition to his uh his what do you feel mal- confident in going to court and his, prosecuting? Okay, his, his uh, financial malfeasance. Well, the, we the, don't we don't have it all put together yet. We 
we have read stories about it and yeah but you but you need evidence you need you know firm evidence and you're going to take that somewhere i'm i'm just arguing i think if he truly did something that was to the point where a a da felt confident they could press charges they would right and they have in a lot of cases right there's a lot in court right now right but nothing to put him in jail and that's what you're talking about well i think Hopefully, they're waiting for the perfect case, the most solid amount of you know of evidence that they can assemble that beyond reasonable doubt. I think he's going to jail. I think he's uh, might leave the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because of the. Uh, I, I mean, again, embarrassment. I suppose. Again, the longer we wait, the more. As I said, consequential, the reaction will be. That's well, what I notice about him, too, is just that he, he's so bad when he's being cross-examined. Yes. If you've ever seen Trump... In depositions. In depositions. He's, he's terrible. Yeah, he's horrible. And that's what he has to really be afraid of. Once he gets to that stage, right. it's over. Right. They're talking about the committee, may, I doubt it, but they may subpoena him over these documents that you just referred to. Yeah, yeah. And finally, from the Associated Press, Craig Schubert, the reactionary prudish mayor of Hudson, Ohio, an upscale city outside Cleveland, is making headlines for a remark he made at a recent city council meeting about the consequences of allowing ice fishing shanties on a city lake. Someone come back next year and say, I want an ice shanty on Hudson Springs Park for X amount of time, Schubert asked. And if you then allow ice fishing with shanties, then that leads to another problem, ice shanty prostitution. (laughs) You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.